0: Step out of the jacket of do, do, do. Take a breath. Focus on the three things. Know that you will get distracted. Gently pull yourself back. Of course, we'll be tired at the end of the day, but we'll have that sense of celebration. We did something.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear from thought leaders in a wave of goodness and progress well underway around the globe that almost no one knows about. This podcast will introduce you to people who are paving the way for a better world for all of us, and they'll give you hope for the future and many, many practical ways they are using to handle life's ups and downs. The insights in this podcast can help you make a leap or two every week. So I hope you'll join us regularly. I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of Ever Widening Circles. Since 2014, we've written thousands of articles about insight and innovation going uncelebrated. And along the way, we've been having incredible conversations with thought leaders that we are now sharing with the world. Today, I'm gonna chat with Marilyn Paul, she's a systems thinker. I love that notion so much. She's applied her way of finding solutions to persistent problems, to everything from projects for the World Health Organization, to how we avoid wasting food from our refrigerator. I mean, (laughs) we have got such a great interview for you today. She's been on the faculty of Yale Medical School, appeared on the Discovery Channel, and National Public Radio, and she's the author of a book that has one of my favorite titles. It's hard to make a difference when you can't find your keys. Now, (laughs) we're going to dive right into where that comes from. But the minute I heard that title, I knew that book was for me. Most recently, Marilyn Paul is co-founder and a principal at Bridgeway Partners. She runs workshops as a facilitator, and she speaks and coaches folks who are trying to make sense of our crazy world. So Marilyn, welcome
0: to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. It's so good to be here. I'm so happy we're in this conversation.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, Marilyn and I had a brief conversation before we started and I, I challenged Marilyn to help, help that she and I would create something today that never existed in the world before. So we're going to bring our collective good intuitions to, uh, to this conversation and share with you all kinds of ways that we're thinking anew about the complexities in our world and seeing nothing but possibility ahead of us. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) So, Marilyn, I love this question to open with you. You know, the scope of Marilyn's work is huge. Marilyn, can you fill in some more of the blanks there before we go on to this first question? Tell me more about about your work and, and what you're doing in the world.
0: Well, one of the things I love, I will just say, systems thinking is something we all do. We all can think systemically. And one of the things I like to do is take, it's a practice, it's a discipline of patiently looking for patterns rather than jumping to obvious solutions. So one characteristic of a systems thinker is we know things are a little more complicated than they look. So for example, if people are hungry, obviously our first answer, our first response is, Bring food. But if we do that without looking at the underlying dynamics of looking at the food system and knowing, for example, learning to my shock and horror that we throw away 40% of the food we produce in this country. Not only that, I will just say because it's a passion project at the moment. In our households, on average, we throw away of the food we bring home, which is like going to the market, buying five bags of food, and leaving two bags in the parking lot. I started to look to see, I couldn't believe that was true. We do. There's all kinds of data to suggest how much food we're wasting in my own home. We've changed our behaviors. So that's what I do. I work with people individually to help them change their behavior but also groups and communities to look at the system as a whole, to look for how we can cooperate better to make a difference. This is
1: huge. I've just become very aware um, after an interview with a wonderful thought leader named Dr. Tamsin Woolley Barker. She looks at human behavior and systems, and she she studied baboons, kind of like Jane Goodall studied chimpanzees. And she came out of that with this notion that we are more like ants and bees in our organizational and our habits. We will self-organize just like bees and ants. And it reminds me of what you're saying here is that that there is kind of a, a beauty of recognizing the complexities in the systems we've created or the systems that have just evolved accidentally, and then taking them apart to see where we can improve
0: things. So that, in and I just do want to follow up on what you said and show people my book. Yes, It's hard to make a difference when you can't find your keys. And this... For people like me who really struggled with chronic disorganization, I learned, for example, because people would come in and I would have to run around and clean up and put things in the shower and pull the shower curtain (laughs) (laughs) and really hope that, you know, I just made a mess. That's how I was. And the obvious thing to do is clean up. I mean, if you've got a mess, clean it up. But if you don't sort of go to the underlying thoughts, like one of my thoughts, my mother used to teach me, a woman with a neat house has nothing better to do with her time. And by this, she was conveying to me that tidying up was not a worthy venture. Now I look at that and say, mom, for crying out loud, I need to live in a tidy place. Otherwise it's out of control. But leaving that aside... One of the things when we want to make a change, whether it's in ourselves, if we're chronically disorganized, for example, or if everyone has an issue, is you work on the outside, like putting things back and work on the inside to unpack these like ideas that are false. Women's work is very powerful, makes a huge difference. And cleaning up a house, creating order, it's a wonderful thing to be doing. Well, okay, so I want to definitely
1: dive deeply into this, the behaviors and the notions that make us waste food. But I want to wade people to that level with some of the conversation that we had just just brainstorming right before we started because I think there's if we start at the highest level about systems and am I right that systems sometimes just evolve all on their own and they're maybe oh. not useful to anyone
0: really? Well, the systems have a life of their own, right? And systems thinking draws from the world of ecology, ecological no. thinking. Where one, you see everything is connected. You change something, it affects everything else. Okay. And there's that famous thought that a butterfly in flapping its little wings on one side of the planet can impact a hurricane on the other. That's right. sort of exaggerated. Okay. But the idea is that when we do something, we have unwitting impacts on okay. others and on systems as a whole.
1: Right. All right. So as we dive into this world of our own systems, the systems we're forced to be a part of and so forth, let's start with one question. As a systems thinker and you know a, a high-level consultant to organizations and individuals, is there some notion that you'd want to start with? If people
0: only knew one thing, what would it be? Well, I would say people only knew how powerful it is to have regular rest. And that is the topic of my second book. Okay. And Oasis in Time, How a Day of Rest Can Save Your Life. And what I wish people knew is how powerful and important it is to rest. I mean, we all want to talk about all the things we're doing, but I really need people and want people to know that not doing things is vital to be able to do things well. How do you think? I, I
1: totally agree. And I'm just, I'm on the treadmill. Yeah. I'm trying to run two businesses at the same time. I, <laughs> I don't even meet myself coming and going. And then <laughs> I have avid gardener. So this time of year, you know, every minute of the weekend is squared away also. Okay. So tell us how we have the self discipline to unpug, to, jerk ourselves into this relaxation, one day of rest mode. What, what are the systems that make that possible during the week, maybe? So is there a yeah. lead up
0: to that? Okay, tell us about that. So one thing, it is like a little bit of a vicious cycle. Okay. The more work we try to do, sometimes we do not do as good a job as we would like. We don't keep agreements necessarily. We don't do the excellent job we aspire to. We take work home. We try to get stuff done at night when we're tired. So then we, since we're trying to work at night and work on the weekends, we never get that really deep, nourishing, restorative okay. rest. When we don't get the rest, we start the day off, but we're a little confused. It's like, what do I do? What's my priority? Mm-hmm. What am I supposed to really get done? Who am I meeting with? And we're on the run so much right. that sometimes... We don't even have five minutes for a break or 10 during the day. So we're going so fast and we're a little confused, a little out of sorts. We don't get the stuff done we really want to do. So we have to take it home or we have to work on the weekend. And then we're in that vicious cycle of never quite doing the most important thing and not doing it as well as we want. And then we get confused. Is this something that I need to do? hundred percent, eighty percent, fifty percent. When we work, not everything is going to be perfect or even close to it. Right. So that then we're in that vicious downward cycle of exhaustion. More people are burned out than we know. More people are tired, but we put such a premium on work. Like work, check off the box. I have my to-do list right here with all my check-off boxes. That we like to check the box. Yes. (laughs) And what goes along with that is resting isn't pleasant when you're exhausted. does not feel good to feel how tired you are. Mm. So we don't do it.
1: So, okay. So is there truth to this? I sometimes tell me this. I tell myself this this thing that I've heard so many times is that, you know, if you give your body the time to get into some serious restorative sleep modes and you know, we could go into the science of that per se, but we don't need to, but if you actually do that, like I used to be a five and a half hour a day sleeper and I would just bolt out of bed at four 30 in the morning and start. I love that time in the morning, listening to the birds and the dawn chorus. I love it. And I don't want to miss it. But if I don't go to bed at nine 30, I can't wake up at four 30. And so is it true that we can't possibly think straight enough to get work done on only five and a half sleep, hours sleep? I mean, that is a true thing.
0: You know, actually, everyone is different. Some yeah. people only need four hours a night. Some people need eight hours a night. The thing to know is that we won't know when we're operating at a deficit We don't see it. There aren't, like, if you look out through your eyes, you don't see a ticker saying, oh, you're at 70%. Now you're 50 We don't get the feedback. Okay. And if we're extroverted and sort of perky, no one's going to say, God, are you exhausted? (laughs) Because nobody knows. Right. So the sleep part is part of what helps us rest on the weekends. I have... If, you, if people go to my website later, I have something that they can download, and it includes sleep, breaks during the day, and stopping at the end of the week, some practices for stopping. It's a practice. It's we a have practice. to get used to the idea, try it out, maybe fail at it, say, oh, gosh, I can't rest. But we start to live in rhythm. When we're living in rhythm, we are living much more naturally. We're more attuned to ourselves and our needs, and we're far more effective as people. And we get to experience a range of life. The little down moments with a kitten, the stressful moments when we're gunning to finish a project, all of those are valid. You know, someone says something, all of a sudden we're like, I hate that person. Then we know it's something in us that got triggered, not something about them. And then we can work with ourselves. And we said, oh, what an opportunity to grow. So glad they ticked me off. But if we're tired all the time, we don't have the resources to do that.
1: No, I was digging around here, even in my little trash can here, because I just threw away a little thing that reminds me I've had it up for a long time repeatable series of actions, cooks the rice habits. Yeah. You know, this is the thing, you know, I think what you're saying is if you develop a rhythm, a routine of getting the rest, making the time for stuff that feeds your soul and it becomes a rhythm, it's more the
0: rhythm that your body and your mind learns to live with. It's so true. It's we, everyone's talking about rest But what we really need is the rhythm of go, then stop, and then go again and stop. And we start to equilibrate so much so that we observe a day of rest. And we're Jewish. So Friday night, we light candles. And there are many days when I say, I can't do it this week. I'm not, I will light candles, but after candlelighting, I'm going back to work. But I never do. Oh, good. Because once the candles are lit and I'm with my family and we're taking a deep breath and maybe singing a song, I think, what was I thinking? But our brains are in the habit of do, do, do. So we have to sort of puncture that balloon a little bit. And then when it's deflated, we look around and say, what an amazing world we're in. And what I need more than doing is just being present for this amazing world. Absolutely.
1: Oh my gosh. That's so good. Okay. So I'm going to put my little, I even had it in a little red side. I'm going to put it back up and now it's going to mean to me what you're talking about. I'm going to make the repeatable series of actions, cooks the rice, be
0: finding time for rest and just chill. And so I want to say something about gardening because I'm a gardener also. Okay, me too. (laughs) We can do something like that in the spirit of I'm going to weed this whole box, this whole raised box, and I'm going to get it done. I've got 20 minutes and I'm going to grab all the weeds and then I'm going to go. That's one way of doing it. I can also take my weeding self and stop and maybe offer a prayer of thanks. And I can still weed with thanks. And then I'm looking at the soil, and then I'm grateful for the chard that's growing. And that same series of actions can be very nourishing, or it can just be one more thing I'm checking off on my to-do list. I love that. And I'll give you another example. I have a friend who's a potter, Mm -hmm. and we were talking about this idea of an oasis in time, a Sabbath. And she pointed out to me that there are days when she can just go in and throw pot after pot. She's got three, four pots thrown and she checks that off the list. Then there's a day she can go in and she hooks her thumbs under the rim of the pot and she can just feel that pot growing. She feels the texture of the clay. Yeah. And as she breathes, she can feel her whole body relax. So something is being created, but it's being created from a very different inner place. And it's much more renewing, but she needs to flip that switch. Look, and, you know, is this the intention
1: that we could bring to a lot of things in our day that otherwise we be chores checking up the list? I bet you it's, it's more sure. than than gardening and pottery. I bet oh, for I, sure. I bet you if I looked at my to-do list, there's a lot of things there that could be done with a whole different
0: intention of grace and gratitude. And Absolutely. But we just get into this yeah. pace. Okay. We get into a pace. And okay. so what I often say to people, because they say, well, just what we're talking about, why don't I just do everything mindfully? Why should I set aside oasis time or rest time And I say it's so that you have that conscious experience of actually putting away the world of doing and letting yourself just feel what it's like when our higher power or the source of life or God or whatever we want to call that force that is blooming. And so much can happen without us interfering. Right. And that's when I first learned about this, like, this Shabbat. Shabbat means stop, by the way. Oh it stop. does. I
1: did not know that. It wow. just means stop. stop.
0: <laughs> I had no and idea. I thought, oh, I, I don't, I'm not interested. <laughs> and I have a lot to do. I can't stop. I'm too busy. Yeah. And I slowly learned, and it was surprising to me that it's one of the ten commandments, but I'm not particularly religious in that way, but I thought, wait a sec, if in the Western spiritual tradition, it said stop once a week, along with thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, maybe there's something I should consider.
1: And these are wisdom traditions, thousands of years old, (laughs) you know, no matter how far you'll go, you run with them. They They are old
0: and have stood some time testing. And even they, they're nomads in the desert. Why did they need to stop for a day week? But even they needed to plunk themselves down and rest.
1: Okay, so we can't be this close to the edge of a topic that I know you, both are, you, you and I are both are interested in. I mentioned when we were having a conversation earlier, this whole notion, the whole thought process of stoicism.
0: Yes. Yeah, I'm,
1: I'm very consciously calling it a thought process because I think a lot of people think stoicism is a religion.
0: Yeah,
1: and um, we both enjoy this this book called "The Obstacle Is yeah. the Way" by Ryan Holiday. I think you have your copy there. Mm. <laughs> Marilyn and I have 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 a similar a library. I think we could go on and on. There's obstacle. Of- <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> So, Ryan Holiday has written two books, The Obstacle is Away, and what's the other one? I'll think about it in a minute, about this, this thought process called stoicism, and it must work into something about what we're talking about here, like, like looking at your life and your the systems that have just fallen into place and you operate them all day long without getting rest, without without living consciously a single minute of that time. I'd say we're dancing around the edge of this concept in the obstacle is the way the obstacle is the way on this is to just go straight at it and find a way to system to create systems in our lives, new systems that make a Sunday off or a Friday evening or whatever it is part of your, your weekly systems. Right?
0: So I love that question. And one of the things, speaking of thoughts, is we really think that doing more gets more done. Right. It sounds so logical. If I do more, I will get more done. But if we unpack that and we're doing more when we're tired, or we're doing more when we're upset, or we're doing more when we're just putting all this energy into the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. In the end, we don't get more done. Right. There is something. Uh... One of the things I think we can do is start to say to ourselves, I get more done when I am centered and rested. And in fact, we can say to ourselves, when I have a long, long checklist, to do list, maybe I'm not going to be so effective.
1: Mm
0: but we talk to ourselves very differently. And one thing I say to people, because when I talk about this idea of a day off a week, people say, oh, I could I could never get everything done in six days a week. I need eight days a week. And I say to them, well, you might not know this new math, but seven minus one equals eight. If you actually take a day off, so- It's seven minus one. You have eight days worth of perspective, creativity, energy, connection with self, other, and your higher power. So you're so transformed by a day off. And not just us, but the world. One researcher says that if everyone took a day off a week, that would come close to helping us solve climate change because we'll use less energy we make better decisions we'd be resting not using not driving so okay
1: and and we learned that during the pandemic what was were those whole statistics in that first three months when the world was seriously shut down how much less pollution how much less noise in the ocean and the whales were happier i mean everything that the wildlife began to act differently i mean this is this is a notion you should ch- totally champion that and i'll champion it with you that 7 minus 1 equals 8 <laughs> it's fabulous but you know it gets to a point that i really that i didn't learn i feel badly that i didn't learn until i was 54 years old i remember the day i learned it and i put it in little signs all over my life is that one half of knowing what you want is knowing what you're willing to give up to get it. Yeah. Because I just thought I could, my to-do lists were endless and I could just endlessly keep processing all that stuff. But where does it factor in systems thinking about how we solve persistent problems, Marilyn, where we
0: decide what not to do? Is that almost as important as deciding what to do? I'm so with you on that. And I really almost want to say it again because it's so important. Not only do we need to know what we want, but what we're willing to give up to get it and willing to not do in the face of these long lists where we think we want to do everything. It really goes with this phrase of thinking, doing more gets more done. Doing more does not get more done. And when we are really focused and know what we want and know what we're willing to give up, that's when we get more done. And in systems thinking, there's this very powerful notion of leverage. So leverage is the idea of making one or two small changes in a system and the whole system starts to move, it starts to change. So what we wanna do when we're thinking systemically and we're interested in change is be patient, get to understand the system, get to understand the patterns, and then make just a few changes. And I'll I'll give you the sort of build on the example I gave before about being chronically disorganized. Our typical way to try to solve, I will speak for myself, my chronic disorganization would be to say on a Sunday morning, okay, this is it. I cannot stand this mess anymore. I'm cleaning up. And so maybe I take an hour, two hours, and I sort piles and do some dishes. And then I get tired. And I think there's it's too much. I think I'll go for a run. And that's it. But if we're trying to change the system, one place to start is why do you want to change? And then uh, I had to observe myself in action. And one thing, one critical thing I learned about myself is I didn't complete tasks. Okay. Like a whole task when you're eating dinner you say I ate dinner but dinner isn't over until the dishes are done or they're in the dishwasher and as they say here in Berkeley, California dinner isn't over till you've composted your food. But If you just say dinner is over and you all leave the table with the plates on the table and the food drying on the plates, dinner isn't over. But not only that, you export that task to later. Right. And you don't want to do it later either. And that's how I learned I made messes. I wouldn't do a whole task. Right. And then I didn't want to do it later either and i would keep starting things and not finishing them and then being so frustrated by the mess. So all that right. is thinking systemically. Okay, that's perfect. So so we could all
1: use that way of thinking on the chaos that we have in our our homes or our business yes. lives or whatever. I love that. That's a really practical good practical tip. It makes me think of this thing like whatever made you start something you know, you run out of steam, you don't finish it for whatever reason. Yeah. Also tells you that you weren't that engaged in the outcome to begin with. So what I, I had a one pound baby. My my daughter is now 24, who weighed one pound. When she wow. Was yes. That's was scary. Something else. It was such a life experience. Thankfully, uh, mercifully, she lived And she's still one of the rarest micropremies that grew up to have no disabilities. She can't spread the toes on her right foot. That's the that's the extent. But she should have, I mean, you know, it really called into question whether we should even keep her on life support. It's there's so few babies born at 23 weeks, five days. But I bring that up in that. Sometimes Marilyn, and I'm wondering if you have something that goes along with this, do we have to wait to have some dramatic experience? Because that's what happened to me. Having Louisa, I remember the doctor on day two with you know, I carried a day planner that was three inches thick and weighed about seven pounds. And I and I kept walking into the Nikki with that day planner just out of habit the first few days. And here she was, the size of a Barbie doll with a chicken egg head. And the the, the, day, the doctor looked at look at my day planner, looked at me, and he goes, hey, you know, just a piece of advice. Somebody who has a one-pound baby does not need a seven-pound day planner. And wow. he said it's so nice. He was so graceful. Wow. I know it sounds snarky, but it wasn't. Wow. And I had this aha moment. And then he said, you know, it's okay to step off the merry-go-round. Yeah. Step off. And yeah. the things that are really important will still become part of your world. But for three, four, 5 weeks cuz they thought she was going to die. They absolutely thought she was going to die. 99% chance. He said, just just step off. And you know, that's when I learned a little bit more to uh, have savvy about what what makes my to-do list. But yeah, Marilyn, beautiful. do we do we have to have a traumatic experience? How can we jar ourselves into trying some of these things that you're talking about?
0: You know, I don't know the answer. <laughs> to your question. Some of us really do need, you know, my traumatic experience, which may not sound traumatic and certainly not like yours, but I was working very closely with a friend who is actually now the president of Morehouse College in Georgia. And, but at the time we were working together on a project and we had to do some data collection. And I said, I'll do it. and He said, no, you won't. I'll do it. I love it. I'm so good at it. He says, I don't trust you. You will do a good job, but you'll get it in late. And I said, well, I don't have to be late. I mean, I can get it in on time. And he's like, no, I've never seen you get a project. In oh, on my gosh. Time. This is traumatic to me.
1: If somebody, a colleague said that to me, i tell you
0: it would be a significant emotional event. And so he said, no. I, I just don't trust you. And I walked away, one, knowing he was right. He was right. He gave me that message with love, said I love you, you're a great colleague, but I don't trust you. And I really had to ask myself, is this how I want to live? And that's when I decided, okay, I'm going to do things on time. And that's when I discovered that I was so locked into patterns of thought and behavior and action that I couldn't. Wow. And you cannot just be on time. Even if you decide to be on time, if all your habits lock in lateness.
1: Okay. This is, this is huge. Okay. So (laughs) if all your habits lock in, I skid in sideways to the parking lot when I was raising my kids, (laughs) Every single basketball practice, I would skid them in sideways one minute before it started. Okay, let's pause and take a break. The organization that I run, Ever Widening Circles, is a global positive media company. And we just launched the Conspiracy of Goodness Network, a place what we realized doing all the Ever Widening Circles articles and talking to people like you and thousands of others was that we were all like little pinpoints of light in this darkness. And Ordinary people were never going to know our insights even exist if we couldn't come together. So we'll take a break and I'll tell people about the Conspiracy of Goodness Network. And then we'll come back and we'll continue. Do you thrive on learning from and collaborating with others for the good that's in the world? And becoming a better version of yourself, both personally and professionally, every day? We have built something just for you. The Conspiracy of Goodness Network. You can be a part of the first networking platform that prioritizes personal and professional growth as we work together to make the world a better place. The Conspiracy of Goodness Network is a vetted platform of entrepreneurs, creatives, and professionals who are committed to making the future brighter for us all. People like you. On the network, you can ask questions and find help with projects, share trusted resources, request and attempt workshops, expand your network of thought leaders, and learn from the experience of others to catalyze your work, interests, and passion projects. This is a place where all of us who are doing something to improve the world, large and small, can flourish. The $35 a month membership fee includes attendance to exclusive monthly happiness hours, where you can hear from amazing speakers and influencers. It includes participation in monthly community challenges that will improve your own life and the world around you. You'll have access to the network's mentor match service to grow exponentially in your insight and decision-making. And you'll get automatic discounts on all of our courses and events. So join us. Co conspirators for goodness around the world, those who are doing anything they can to make the world a better place, are coming together on this network to collaborate, and it is time we find each other. Go to conspiracyofgoodnessnetwork.com for a simple three step questionnaire to apply to be a member today. Let's connect, collaborate, and change the future. Okay, we're back. Okay, so let's pick it up right where we left off. You know, I'm looking at, at 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 all the things that we might talk about, and I love this notion of becoming the observer. Yeah, because I think that ties in with where we where it, we left
0: absolutely. off.
1: Absolutely. So, talk to me about becoming the observer in
0: your own life. I love that idea, and it's for me. It's been challenging. It was the key to figuring out how to learn to arrive on time. Like today, I was not worried. Would, would I be here on time? Yes, I would, because I know how to do it now. But I, being the observer starts to me with developing a tiny bit of compassion, self-compassion. You can't observe yourself and learn and beat yourself up. Those, those do not occupy the same space. Right. And it really took a while and we can keep going with this theme, either disorganization or learning how to rest. And it was a learning process of learning slowly how to stop for a day, took several years, but observing myself in action with love, with curiosity with interest. And sometimes I tell people when I work with them, because I do coach people, I say, imagine that you're a visitor from another planet. You don't know anything about this person and you're here to learn about them. What makes them tick? And that's when I learned one of the things that made me tick. And one of the reasons I was always late is I always could think of something else to do other than the thing I had to focus on. Okay. And if I could, and I that's the kind of mind I have. No judgment. I have ADD. I am always scanning for other things to do. And it keeps me from staying focused. So it's it's very helpful. My phone has a timer on it. And some days I set my timer for five or 10 minutes Because I know if I'm in that sort of rattled, slightly distracted mode, in five or 10 minutes, I will not be doing what I set out to do. And the timer goes off and say, oh, okay, I remember what I'm supposed to be doing. And I go back and do that.
1: Interesting.
0: And I might have to do that. It's like, I might have to do that many times. I get distracted. I come back. I get, but the key, just like in meditation is not to be mad at myself oh, God, darn, gosh, yeah. darn it, you're distracted again. No, it's like, oh, what a wonderful mind you have. So open, so available. But honey, Lovely. we've got to focus on this now. <laughs> Lovely. That is a great practical tip. Because I, I I could
1: see that working so much. That is a great practical tip. Just set your
0: alarm for five or 10 minutes and then it'll remind you, oh, get back to what
1: what we were I did
0: it this morning I'm working on a project proposal Mm -hmm. and I had to do some research for it and I had to look into the Berkeley Food Institute knowing myself I would go down and it's very hard for me to keep myself from going down those paths but five minutes the alarm goes off I say oh oh, oh, okay Mm -hmm. now I remember what I'm doing
1: Uh, okay okay that is is totally (laughs) lovely I have another uh, suggestion for people. Have you ever run into a, a, a thought leader named Donald Miller, the work of Donald Miller? No. Donald Miller is in charge of this thing called story branding. And for business people, I would recommend you look into Donald Miller's work with story branding because it's a great way to talk about, to get your message in order. <laughs> so, you right. tell your tell your story right or present things. But here's what I do related to what you do. I w- got from Donald Miller a really neat set of pages. So, every day I sit down with this day planner. This is my day planner now, not the seven-pound guy. And he's disciplined me. His system is that you only get to pick three, <laughs> there's only three key things that you get to do in a day yeah. and i have to fill out what those three are like come hell or high water i have to get those things done Lovely. before my day is over and then you get some small secondary tasks but you know what i almost never get to the secondary tasks yeah since doing this i really focus on going down the down the list just those three that i have to get done today and I tell you, if what I think what you're you and I are both promoting is is for people to become the observer in their own life and find a system, whatever it is, so you can have some self-discipline and order and ferret out how you're spending your days. Because this running around on the
0: treadmill is just too crazy. I just met someone, also a physician, and he told me that when he he just retired but when he was working he woke up in the morning feeling behind Ooh. he would start the day oh. he had so much to do that he was already behind i feel like that every day and and what a hard feeling it is to feel like i'm not in the i'm not in the right place i'm behind I, okay and so, so what we- you're saying i think is if you have your list of three things and you understand yourself, and you know the pressure to accomplish, you can actually step out of this straight jacket of do, do, do. Right. Take a breath. Focus on the three things. Know that you will get distracted. Gently pull yourself back. Right. Of course, we'll be tired at the end of the day, but we'll have that sense of celebration. We did yes. something. So many people I work with say to me, "I've been working all day, but I didn't do anything." Oh. So then we look into that. Right. What What were you doing? What were you focusing on or not? And your wonderful question was, "What do I have to give up to do what I really want to do?" Yeah. We We can't just keep running down all those rabbit holes. No. And one of the keys. I learned is to celebrate every little accomplishment. Yeah. Okay. Everything we do, everything. Right. Yes, I did it. It's a good thing.
1: And not just just check the box and r- move on. Right. So how does this this systems thinking? Because we have to cover this. How does this the systems thinking work in our? Because this topic of food waste is is about our budget. It's about our family life. It's about who's responsible for what, who does the shopping, the whole thing. I love this concept. You and I talked uh, a while ago, you had these, you had this great concept. I had to find it here. It was a way of thinking about your shopping. I, I'll find it in a minute, but tell us about systems thinking and food waste, because this is, it's a really practical place people could start, I think.
0: Well, first of all, Many of us do not realize that we waste food. So number one, let's go back to the observer. So as I said, when I learned how much food households waste, I thought, well, it can't be us. And then I learned that I participate in something accidentally, but what I call aspirational shopping. That's the word. That's the word I wanted to get to. So aspirational shopping is when we go to the market and we think, Oh, I really want to eat kale or collards. And I want to make sure I've got my dark greens. So I'm going to buy plenty of them (laughs) and Uh. good for me. I bought them. Then I put them in the crisper, the vegetable bin, and then I forget about them. Right. And then two weeks, three weeks, maybe it's one week. I pull it out of the (laughs) vegetable bin and sort of like, Ew, ew, sort of a little brown. If I waited long enough, it's a little stringy. And so that was one thing. As a systems thinker, I had to look with compassion and say, you go to the market with all these great ideas about eating healthfully. And then I come home and snack on cheese and crackers, which, which is fine. But what I really want is to eat in connection with my body and with the planet. Right. But I can't do that on the run. And I can't do that if I'm aspiring to doing things without a system. So then I slowly learned, I do not put the kale or the collards into the vegetable bin until I have a plan for them. Of
1: course. But for
0: me... It was like, ah, I need to know what I'm going to do with them. Because if they go in to the bin without a plan, I forget about them. Or maybe I dig into the vegetable bin and it's sort of a little sloppy on the bottom. Uh, But so many of us are wishing we were eating differently from the way we really eat. And we're not aware that when we throw out that food, even if we compost. Right. The best thing for food that's grown is to actually eat it. Right. (laughs) How about that? That's a revelation. So much time. I know. I think we could say it again. The best thing for food that's grown is to eat it. Some human being can get nourished by all the energy, the time, the labor, the seeds, the water, the transportation that went into that apple and then to throw it out Mm. because we let it sit on the counter because we aspire to eat apples. Yeah. It is so costly. Mm. And I started being so surprised. I'm reading a book called Project Drawdown by Paul Hawken and a wonderful group of people, uh, Sausalito. Okay. Okay. They consider the impact of different choices we make on carbon, what they call carbon sequestration, that is drawing down carbon or carbon release. And there's so much we can do to help. And one of the things we can do to help is to eat the food we buy. (laughs) (laughs) And if we don't eat it, to compost it. Yeah. But definitely do not throw it out and have it end up in a landfill because it releases methane gas, right. which is far more toxic than carbon gas. 20
1: times more toxic yes. to the environment, methane gas. Yes. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So okay. that simple little things it saves us money, it helps us be more conscious, it helps us eat mindfully, and we actually can buy less and eat less even be more nourished and reduce climate change.
1: It's, you know, I think that your notion about aspirational eating is equally as it's just as important as, you know, how they say never go to the grocery store if you're really on an empty stomach. Yeah. I think it's, it's in the same exact plane of excess. Yeah. It really is. You just go, Oh, there's that recipe of the New York times about kale and you never do cook it. No, we have the best darn intentions. That's about intention. You know, like I want to figure out where that sweet spot is in our good intentions for buying the crazy. green sure. re- And then actually using, you know, there's, I want to mention here because it's so, it's so cool. Um, we wrote an article at Everwidening Circles just recently about this organization you're going to love called Freeage. F-R-E-E-D-G-E. F-R-E-E-D-G-E. It's a woman in, uh, uh, I don't know, I'll make it in the show notes. But anyway, <laughs> she just had the means to put a f- refrigerator. She went to Lowe's. They donated her refrigerator. She painted it all up gorgeous and ran on this st- extension cord out her apartment building window. It was one of those kind of like first floor, second floor windows. And she decorated it all up and she, she gets her neighbors, the neighborhood market, the neighborhood restaurants, put free, fresh food. In this fridge, and it's free to anyone to come there because she lives in what what's called a food desert. And she says, by the end of the day, every day, everything's gone. People are using this give and take part of their lives. Nice. There's no shame in taking from it, and and there's a lot of good in giving to it. You know, maybe that's maybe that's a way to start: is to go ahead and buy the kale, but put it in some place where somebody will actually use it. Drop it off at the homeless shelter or what have you. What
0: because... we could have is we're talking, you know, as you unpack your groceries, really look and say, really, am I, when, am I really going to eat this? Or maybe I don't even like kale. Oh, it's no. like one of those things, it's a good idea, but I'm not going to eat it. So then we become honest okay. about where this food is coming from. And the other thing that's occurring to, to me as you mentioned freeage is our grocery stores are an astounding miracle of capitalism. And what happens when we go into a grocery store is our attention gets drawn in so many different directions. The grocery store is designed to get us to buy things we don't need and want. Okay. And so we need to go in there with, tremendous respect for the power of the marketers and the food placement yeah and the design is it's very different i also am a member of a csa in a garden an acre farm in east oakland and you go and you see the plants that they harvest they don't look anything like they do in the supermarket in the supermarket they get like the best leaves of kale. Yeah. And I'm so grateful to be closer to the earth more and more because it looks more real. Yeah. But in order to get all those gorgeous fruits and vegetables in our supermarket where we want them, 50% or more are thrown out. So all those imperfect tomatoes and oranges and ugly apples and Icky looking kale are still perfectly good, but we don't want them because they're not pretty. Yeah. And yeah. so another resource for people is this company called Imperfect Foods. Yes. Right? Have you I'm heard so of them? I'm so glad.
1: Yes, my. Yeah. yeah. There's. I think there's another one that my daughter gets a delivery from. That name doesn't sound familiar, but I love this concept.
0: Tell it. Tell our listeners about this concept. The concept is you take these foods that we wouldn't buy. We are trained as consumers to look, to only want like it has to look good. Mm-hmm. We are trained to buy the produce that looks good. Yet so much part of, if you, if you start learning more about the food system, you'll see that there's a lot of sorting going on, pulling the ugly fruit off the conveyor belt. And where does it go? It often just rots or if it doesn't get picked, it rots in the field. And there's so much we can do if we are willing to be flexible and give up our idea of the perfect strawberry, we can help by eating the not as beautiful food.
1: Yeah, now the organization you mentioned, and there's one, and we'll put them both down in the show notes. My daughter and CEO of Everwinding Circles, Liesl, she gets a weekly delivery from a company called the Misfits Market. Nice. And, and this is—it's an amazing thing, and I think it addresses this problem that you're talking about about aspirational eating. What she gets is this box of of things that are misfits, just as you said. They're the, probably the things yeah. that aren't perfect that they pull off the line. Now she doesn't know what the heck to do without the stuff that she gets in that box, but by golly, she learns. There's yeah. something. There's a mentality of how she treats those fruits and vegetables. Yeah. Different. She makes sure she eats them every nice.
0: single one. I don't understand. Where do you think that mentality shift comes from? I think that when we break out of the pattern, well, here's a thought anyway, you break out of the pattern of either you go to the store and shop or you order online and you want things to look good. And that's the pattern. And maybe what she's done or other people who order from imperfect foods, they say, look, food is food. And I want to be respectful of where it comes from and it takes all of these resources, including underpaid human labor, right. To pr- produce this food. So let's at least out of respect, eat it with yes. gratitude. Yeah. Well, I got to tell
1: you, Marilyn, gratitude is woven all through our conversation today. And we, yes. just like we said, I had all these show notes that I was going to get to and we didn't. So we're going to have to have Marilyn back another day to talk about systems thinking now, Marilyn, as we wrap up today, tell us everything you want to tell people about how they can connect with your work, because Marilyn has been doing important things. I think she was ahead of her time on lots of this stuff. So there's the book. <laughs> Don't I, I, the books again.
0: Uh, I'll just show people again. It's hard to make a difference when you can't find your keys. For those of us who are not as organized as we like. Yes. And there's it's full of Tips and poetry and philosophy, but it's very very practical because that's how we get ourselves out of this nightmare of chronic disorganization. So that book has actually sold almost two hundred thousand copies. Wow! And 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 then there's this book, Okay. An Oasis in Time: How a Day of Rest Can Save Your Life, and people can. Down, I think if you go to my website, which is marilynpaul.com, you can download the first chapter of the books and get a a guide to adding balance and rhythm to your life. That's lovely. And then if they go to want to learn more about systems thinking to go to bridgewaypartners.com. That's our professional systems thinking website with tons of cases and excerpts and a whole list of articles that I wrote with my husband. One of them is called is moving too fast, slowing you down. (laughs) And that's the essence of systems thinking and time management. So I
1: I got to send people there. I read an article about the five disciplines in family life. Mm. That was really good. Marilyn really has a breadth of, of things that she's applying the systems thinking to. So go to, Mar- is it Marilyn, paul.com? and bridgeway
0: and Bridgeway partners. Yeah. And find really? The learning family article at Bridgeway partners.
1: Yeah. That's lovely. That's lovely too. And so, you know, as we wrap up here, Marilyn, I always ask people, you know, the, the byline for Everwidening Circles is, it is still an amazing world. What proves to you that it's still an amazing
0: world? Well, I have to say, just walking out the door, or even in my home, human beings are amazing. The amount of care for one another people have shown during the pandemic, the aspiration for a better world, the starting to really look at how can we as a human race make sure that our children and our children's children flourish in what will be a different world. I everywhere I go, people are talking and concerned and I know there are people who don't think that's an issue, but even there many, many people really want to see the farms work, the Fish in the rivers, the yeah. animals, we, we can, I see it every day. We can agree upon
1: that. We want that future for our children. We do. We do. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. You know, for anything that Marilyn and I mentioned, we have this great streamlined podcast. Our, our pr- podcast producers are going to put a, together a great show notes down there. and And I always add to them my personal touches too. So you can find anything we mentioned down there. And check out the show notes. It'll have all the links to Marilyn's Connections too. And please, please go rate and review this podcast because we're in the top 25% of podcasts in the world right now. And we're about this far from getting to the top 10%. Wow. And when we do that, we have the potential to bring all these insights and and wonder to a lot more people. So thank you for going and rating and re- reviewing the podcast. And remember to check out this Conspiracy of Goodness Network. If you're in the world of work, where you're doing something to make the world a better place, whether it's you volunteered for the Humane Society Board, or you're you've got a startup that's putting bread on your table and making the world a better place, we are coming together, we people in this gratitude economy that's opening. That's what I'm calling it. We're going to talk about that more and more over the coming weeks and the business of goodness. So thank you, Marilyn, for joining me. As always, dive into the articles over at Ever Widening Circles or on the app, and you will have the antidote to the daily news right in the palm of your hand. Thank you so much, Linda. This is Thank just you. wonderful. Okay, have a great day. We'll finish Bye. up and we'll see you next week.